Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, Darren Lewis from The Mirror and TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook, as Ralph gets wrecked and City gets slicker. We knew that it was a difficult game to come up for us and uh, yeah, for us it's now to look ahead and make sure that we play two good home games against Tottenham and against Atletico and hopefully uh, win those two games. Team selection, commitment, defending, United, doesn't look like it. Elsewhere, the Premier League goes goal crazy. Chelsea win well, Arsenal win just about, and Wolves lose again. Newcastle are well in tune, the only Premier League side since Christmas that haven't lost a Premier League game. Brentford are buzzing, the Canaries can't get off the ground, and we are cooing over Coutinho. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is game day. And we've shifted things around a little bit. Um, we, we don't really have the numbers. We're a bit like West Ham. We don't have the numbers. So we're sort of you know, just moving pieces around on the chessboard to, to fill gaps. So Darren Lewis is back with us on a Sunday night. Hello, Darren. You okay? I'm very well. I, I'm actually quite impressed um, at the strength and depth that you have. Yeah, it's amazing um, now, you know, you know, for such a small squad. Well, such a small squad, exactly. The rotation is working perfectly. I'm pleased to be part of it. Thank you. Uh, Crookie, always first name on the on the team sheet, um, only because it's in his contract, not for any other reason. Uh, how are you? You all right? Yeah, I've got some bad news, actually. So the club doctor has given me the all clear to play, but I don't fancy it. So I'm off. <laughs> oh, a veiled reference to Edinson Cavani and his non-appearance at the Manchester Derby. I think we should probably start there, don't you? <laughs> stands together and that is something we will see right across the United Kingdom this weekend but in his 100th Premier League appearance Harvey Barnes scores against Leeds yet again and Jesse Marsh is behind in his Premier League debut Leicester City 1 Leeds United 0 Aston Villa are running riot here it's Aston Villa 4 Southampton 0 and who else could get the goal against his former club Danny Ings they are playing Southampton off the Villa Park. It had just got worse because Chelsea have scored a fourth. It's Burnley nil. Chelsea fall as Fraser to deliver the free kick into the near post. Yeah! It's 2 0. 
Zaha steps up and he puts it down the middle. Saar goes low to his right-hand side and Crystal Palace have doubled their advantage here. Here we go, the best penalty taker in the world. And up will step Ivan Tony's got the ball in the spot right now, steps up. It goes exactly the same way. Cruel went that way. It's unstoppable. It's an Ivan Tony hat-trick. And there probably couldn't be a more apt anthem for football to sing in these troubled times. Cater is the, in the midway point for the West Ham half. He floats it to Alexander-Arnold, who rifles the ball. Goalwards, Barney is there, and he tucks it in, and Liverpool take the lead. And in a season where nobody wants to take control of fourth place, Arsenal are starting to do just that. Watford two, Arsenal three. Look, they've been first class today. I've said it so many times, the football that they played. Mahrez got his laces through it, came up to Hayes' shoulder, and found its way into the back of the net. Man City four, Man United one. Yeah, Manchester City 4, Manchester United 1. Gary Neville said afterwards, it's the first time that Ralph Ranić has taken them against a proper team and they have got a proper doing. I'm pleased people are starting to realise this because it's something we've been banging on about on the podcast for a while. They haven't played anyone over this run. And actually, all the plaudits that were coming his way, and it, not, not necessarily that many plaudits, but when people were saying he has improved things, if you look at the quality of opposition that he's played so far... Actually, they hadn't played anyone. Today they did, and this is the result. Crook. Yeah, I mean, we've been saying, as you say, for a while, that actually the performances haven't improved under Ralph Rangnick, that the, the points accumulated may have, although I'm not even convinced by that anymore. You'll probably have the stats better than I do. But it was another diabolical performance in a big game from Manchester United. And I'm not going to f- throw Ralph Rangnick under the bus. I felt like it was the right decision for Cristiano Ronaldo not to feature, whether he was injured or not, I guess is open to debate. Well, what is the, the latest on that? Because you guys have obviously been following it um, quite closely. Social media was sort of awash with a rumour that his sister was saying he, he, he wasn't fit or unfit or unwell. He was, he was more than happy to play, but they didn't want him to. Well, we haven't been able to verify that tweet if it did indeed come from Cristiano Ronaldo's sister. What we do know is that he wasn't in the squad. Uh, I know Mickey Gray had heard rumours in the Old Trafford press room that was because he was told he wouldn't be in the eleven and therefore didn't want to sit on the bench. We can't, again, confirm that 100%. Rangnick himself came out afterward and said that he can only go by medical advice and the club doctor said that he wasn't able to train on, on Friday or indeed on Saturday. But the problem goes deeper than one player. It's a collection of individuals that have been amassed over a number of managers under a regime that have been underperforming for a number of years now. And Manchester United is no longer a great football club. It's a football club that is being run poorly from top to bottom. And Manchester City on and off the pitch, like Liverpool, like Chelsea, are light years ahead of Manchester United. And that all came out on Sunday. There were some... Terrible individual performances. Harry Maguire was appalling again. If he's in the England squad next month, then Gareth Southgate is clearly not sticking to his word about players on form because on form, he shouldn't be anywhere near the England squad. He shouldn't be anywhere near the Manchester United team. Wan-Bissaka at right back, um, who I advocated on White and Jordan last week as being someone who should play given his record against Raheem Sterling. Sterling was obviously on the bench and Wan-Bissaka was appalling. This is a terrible team of players but it's a terribly run football club. Darren Fletcher sat behind Ralph Ranyett wearing his club tracksuit. I still don't know what he does 
But until the ethos changes, until the owners actually start to be serious about wanting to go toe-to-toe and competing on the pitch with City and Liverpool and forget about what happens in the mega store and the bums on seats, nothing is going to change until they appoint a sporting director who knows how to recruit the right type of players rather than just chucking money at big names because they spent the best part of a million uh, of a billion pound since Sir Alex Ferguson retired and they've gone so far backwards it isn't true I mean I just don't know where to start to be perfectly honest you don't know where to start but you went on for long enough I had time to go outside pick up a beer and come back again while you were having that rant cheers hold on a second Right. Okay, Darren, what was your assessment? Because Manchester United, I thought the setup was wrong, actually, of the game. They set up with Fernandes and Pogba up front, did they? Two wide, Ilanga and Sancho, left them short in midfield at at times. They played well in patches. They scored a good goal. Sancho scored a good goal. But I I never thought, I was never convinced at any point during that game that they would win it or even get anything from it. I totally agree. I, I think at no stage... In the build-up to the match, uh, before the match, at no stage did I ever think that the points were heading anywhere other than to Manchester City. I think a lot of what Crook says, and I know sometimes we have a bit of fun at your expense, Crook, but you're absolutely right. I think it's not about the team, the tactics today. It's about the fact that City are a, a, a team, a club led by somebody with authority and a clear plan. And United are living in the past. United are like that club you used to go to when you were in your 20s. Jesus um, Palace was... on the old Kent Road, yeah. <laughs> um, and you go past it and it's all boarded up. Or worse still, it's it's still going, but it just looks tired and dated. And, and United are living in the past. And, I, I, you know, I've said this many times. The idea that they believe themselves too good to appoint a serial winner like Antonio Conte, is symptomatic of the problem at United. They're living in the past. And the longer they go, believing that they're too good for a Conte, the more they will have days like today. Um, Okay, let's not talk about Manchester United anymore because basically it's such a good weekend of football and there's so many goals and so much happiness around the way that football uh, has behaved in the large part um, that we should really look at the joy in in the football we've seen. So let's look at it from the Manchester City perspective because there was a hell of a lot of joy about their performance. And Kevin De Bruyne, fantastic. I mean, they targeted that left-hand side, didn't they, where Wambasaka was operating and Lindelof was sort of operating, although he gave up for uh, one of the goals, didn't he, because he just didn't know what was going on. It was the second City goal, I think. He just lost uh, Phil Foden on the edge of the area and then turned around, stood and watched as he uh, saw his other teammates, Maguire and Tellez, flailing around like new born foals um but Manchester City they're very very good aren't they I mean Mares, the technique from the corner where the ball drops on the edge of the air and he smacks it in past David De Gea was brilliant wasn't it yeah and I think he's underappreciated Riyad Mares. I think he's still Manchester City's top scorer but he isn't one that people outside uh, of the City fan base really rave about but he's he's been phenomenal not just for them but for Leicester in their title win as well the 5,000 to 1 championship season they were brilliant Manchester City um, that, you're right they targeted the weakness in the eye to defence but they still had to execute the game plan they did that perfectly De Bruyne was back to his best Mares sensational but it, but it was easy and what I admire about Manchester City and Liverpool 
is not the talent they have. That's undoubted. It's, it's running through the veins of every player, whether it's the starting 11 or the players who come off the bench and make an impact. But it's the work rate because football history tells us that you don't win anything without that work rate. You have to work harder than the opposition. You have to run more. You have to run more cleverly. And they, and they do that. And again, you, you won't want me to keep bringing it back to Manchester United, but that was the stark difference. You know, there are there is some talent in this Manchester United team. It's not the dog and duck, but the attitude and application that Manchester City showed was worlds apart from the United players. Here is Salah running in behind the defence early into the area, facing up with the goalkeeper, hits it against Fabianski, who makes a big save. It was straight at him. Antonio trying to make sure it isn't here, gets the ball inside the area, shoots left footed, pushed into the air by Allison. He comes back to Diaz, he smuggled goalwards, it's cleared off the line by Cresswell, comes back in by Alexander Arnold, it's cleared off the line by Salah, in fact, this time. Alexander Arnold, who rifles the ball goalwards, Marnet is there, and he tucks it in, and Liverpool take the lead. Great ball. A run by four now, who so he thinks he's onside, he's chested it down, he's up against Allison now he's chipped it over the top of him and he's going to go into the net no it's not it's stopped and Allison's made the second save he's almost in tears Jared Bowen such is the pain that is going through that ankle so Syed Van Rama comes on for West Ham United to replace Jared Bowen here's the ball into the box though towards Lanzini takes it down well Alexander Arnold gets there but he comes back to Lanzini and he fires it over the crossbar from seven yards out and he makes an absolute horlicks of it Liverpool are breathing down Manchester City's neck and it's so hot the champions can feel it Liverpool won West Ham nil. Twelve wins in a row now for Liverpool, who beat uh, West Ham United by a goal to nil on Saturday night, live on Talk Sport. Um, they scored 28 goals and conceded just four during that run, but they should have conceded at least once in this game. And I was at Anfield for this; they, they weren't at their best, but they were they were playing a very good West Ham United team who've had a super season. Um, the accusation is is that they're running a bit out of steam, but ultimately. You know, with Liverpool, they had to get the job done. They did just that, Crook. Yeah, I was impressed by West Ham. I thought it was a much better performance than the one that I saw at Southampton in the FA Cup in midweek. They looked to have a bit more energy. I guess the frustration for their supporters, if you create three or four glorious chances at Anfield, as they did, and you still come away without a goal, that will be very disappointing. But I think they'll take heart from their performance, particularly going into the Sevilla game in the Europa League, live on TalkSport, which we're all really looking forward to on Thursday. And Liverpool weren't at their best, but I guess it's a cliche, the mark of champions, the mark of sides who are going to challenge for major honours is to find a way to win. And they did that. I felt the offside call was perhaps a little bit generous, particularly if you compare it to what we saw at Wembley in the League Cup final and the Lukaku oh, goal, 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 goal that was disallowed. Yeah. He was onside. I didn't, see, I didn't see a lot of difference between that and the Lukaku one that, that wasn't. Yeah, but that's because he got the Lukaku one wrong. He was on, he was onside, Mane. Come so on. again, again, it comes down to consistency. But I, I think Liverpool will, will have been relieved to come off the pitch with a one 0 win, knowing they weren't quite in their in their pomp. And, and West Ham, as I say, will be disappointed not to have got anything from the game. Yeah, I agree. Um, although, I, listen, I always say the same thing about West Ham. Um, they should have bought some players in the summer because they had so many good chances. And if you had in the last 20 minutes or so, somebody to come off the bench and begin to take those chances, it could have been a very different result. West Ham eked out lots of different opportunities. 
they really did test Liverpool, but their squad is so stretched. And now without Rice and Bowen, I, I just can't see them sustaining a bid for the top four. It's a real shame because they've done some fantastic work, but they've dithered. And I think uh, the teams around them are going to move on. OK, let's have a listen to what David Moyes uh, said when I posed exactly that question, because I had the same feeling as you. Dean Ashton was talking to me about it uh, during the commentary. So I thought when I was on the touchline with him, I'd better ask him. This is what I said, and this is his reaction. You made the fewest number of changes to a Premier League starting eleven over the course of the season. You didn't get to bring anyone in in mm. January. Are you concerned that that will check your momentum, the fact that you haven't got the biggest of squad between now and the end of the season? Well, I have to correct you, first of all, and say you didn't get a chance to bring MD in in January. I had the chance and we tried really hard to bring people in. And we're fully aware that our squad is small. and We're fully aware that we're playing the same players in the games. But you know what, I, I thought I wanted to win the cup in midweek. I wanted to try and get through in the cup. And I said, I'm going to play the best I've got. And I want to try and qualify for Europe. I'm going to try and play the best I've got. And I don't have all the players. So I'm going to go with what I've got and I'm going to see how I go. Probably football would tell you you'll, you'll pull up short because you'll run out of, you'll run out of players. But uh, that's the way I'm choosing to go about it. That was David Moyes. Uh, he was quite spiky, actually, when I asked him that question. I don't think he was particularly happy about me bringing it up. But ultimately, it is a question that we debate a lot. So it was best to hear it from him and what he thought about it. Darren, what was your reaction to what he said? Well, he, he was spiky. You were right to ask the question. And, you know, he, he, he said he corrected you, but I'm not sure he did actually correct you because he didn't bring any players in. Um, and that's the bottom line. And I decided to go with what I've got. Listen, let me make something very clear. I would love West Ham to shake it up. I, I, I root for them because, you know, we want the small clubs. I don't believe in this whole idea that the smaller clubs have to stay in their lane. I love to see the smaller clubs trade in blows with the bigger clubs. So I, was, I had a little bit of a soft spot for West Ham and I hoped that maybe they could make it interesting. But... I just can't see that you can defend not bringing players in when you're competing on three different fronts, top four, FA Cup and Europa League. Now they're going to go to Sevilla, who've won the Europa League in its different guises six times, and they're going to try and compete with them. They're competing for the title in, in Spain. It just, I might have to watch it through my fingers. Well, look, Antonio was a pest during this game and in the first half in particular, he pulled onto Canate and bullied him and he showed that he's got that intelligence and I'm sure that they'll take their game plans and they'll take confidence from some of the stuff that, that happened on Saturday night into that game, which is live on TalkSport 5.45 on Thursday. But what a big loss Jared Bowen is going off injured. He's going to miss that huge game with Sevilla after leaving Anfield in a medical boot. I don't know if we've got any update on it yet. No official word on the injury but it looked troubling from the minute he went down. Yeah, and I think you uh, rolled out the stat when you were giving your team news. Was it 78 successive Premier League starts? Was, yes. Was, was that what I heard? Yeah, it's a and new record. Actually broke the record set by Steve Potts in 1994. Yeah. yeah, and he is energy, isn't he? He just brings bags of energy. He's constantly on the move. He's a pest for defenders. Never seems to run out of steam. So that's a huge blow. But just going back to your David Moyes interview there, I fear this is the start of a downward spiral because by not signing players in January to give them the best possible chance of getting into the Champions League, it sends the wrong signal to Declan Rice. He was quite vocal towards the end of last week with our television colleagues. Was he saying in that interview that he did have the chance to sign players but didn't do it? 
Yeah, and I think that's. I think we know that. I, I, I've been saying that on the, the White and Jordan show for some time. It wasn't that the owners weren't willing, willing to spend money, although I think some of the targets they were going for clearly weren't realistic. But David Moyes only wanted to spend that money on players that would improve the first 11 rather than just come on and improve the bench. But actually, football is a squad game and West Ham's squad isn't deep enough. Uh, Nikola Vlasic, for me, isn't good enough for a team who want to finish in the top four, nor is Alex Crowell, who, as we know, is going to be going back to his parent club in the summer anyway. So, But the message that that sends out to Declan Rice is, actually, if I do want to play in the Champions League, I am going to have to leave. And I think he will be hankering for that move in the summer. I think he'll be actively trying to force his way out. Um, let's talk about Liverpool. Their job isn't going to be playing brilliantly every week, Darren. It's actually just winning and relentlessly adding points to their total that will keep City honest. But, but Salah and Mane... Do they need to be a little bit more generous with one another? <laughs> Stop stirring it up, you. I'm not. Um, I'm just suggesting that maybe instead of looking for the glory goal, you know, play others in when they're in better positions than you are. I, I think they're a, a unique pair in so much as if they do go for goal themselves, very often they'll come out with a worldie. So you, I think each of each of them has a respect for the other one that, okay, he's gone himself. He could easily go past three players and stick one in the top corner. Uh, I think it was, if it was an average teammate, they probably ha would have good reason to be annoyed. But I think if Salah doesn't get it because Mane decides he wants to go in a run, Salah accepts that he has the quality to make that run count and vice versa. I don't think Salah was particularly good on Saturday night, if I'm honest. And I don't say enough. that ever. Ever. He is, as far as I'm concerned, the best. Um, OK, let's move uh, to the other game on game day this weekend. Leeds were beaten by Leicester in Jesse Marsh's first game in charge. There were signs, though, of a Leeds revival, structurally more uh, defensive. They, they have to build on that because one glance at the table after the weekend, it doesn't make healthy reading at all for Leeds fans, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, I'm torn on this because... I did think they looked more organised. I thought they looked more cohesive as a unit. But maybe that's the least you expect when a new manager comes in and you're going to get that extra 10% even subconsciously from the players. And ultimately, despite the improvement, they've lost another game. They failed Just to because take... you're in a bad mood about Manchester United doesn't mean you have to be a bad mood about everything. Try and be a little bit more positive. We've had a great weekend of football. Come on, put a smile on your face. You've had well, a good yeah, week. Yeah, but they failed to take their chances. Um, and that would be a, a big concern for me. I think I think they're in trouble, Leeds. You know, you've mentioned the table. They seem to have forgotten how to win. I'm not sure that Jesse Marsh is going to be able to come in and wave a magic wand. Obviously, other results actually went for them. Burnley getting battered at home by Chelsea. Watford lost. Norwich lost. <laughs> I'm, I'm now leaning towards it being three from four because obviously we're recording this before Everton play against Tottenham. I expect Everton to lose at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but I think they've got enough quality to pick up enough points at home. So if, if anybody outside that bottom three at the moment is going to go down, I think it will be Leeds because Brentford got a huge win at the weekend. I'm going to be positive about it. I think Leeds are going to do it and they're going to do it because Patrick Bamford is just about to come back. Involved in the squad for the first time since early December after hamstring, hip and foot injuries. Afterwards, Marsh said, I don't think Patrick's ready to be on from the start. Let's see how the week goes by. I certainly think he'll be ready to put in some minutes on Thursday. Patrick's back in training. He'll continue to progress more and more. We'll get him fitter. We'll get him sharper. And then we'll be able to rely on him in the last 11 games. Yeah, I'm with Jesse here. Darren, what about you? With Jesse too. I'm, I'm, I don't think goals aren't necessarily the issue, which seems a bit of a ridiculous thing to say, but... 
they've got to stop conceding. That's their primary focus. There's enough time for them to be able to get the goals that will save them. I look at Burnley. Burnley's uh, game in hand is away to Brentford. And then they've got Manchester City. So they're not going to be overtaking Leeds anytime soon. And I think what I saw from that initial first game was a willingness from the players to work for the new man. And that can only bode well for the future. I'm off to Ellen Road on, on Thursday for Talk Sport. We'll bring you live commentary of the game between Leeds and Aston Villa. And it is the start of a huge eight days for Leeds United. As uh, Jesse said, you know, after Villa, we've got Norwich at home and then Wolves away. There you go. Jesse painting the picture about how it's going to be. That's a, that's a song reference. Do you get it? Joshua Caddison, 1994, something like that. Yeah, was that about the caravan by the sea, wasn't it? It was, even you got young. it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course you are. Uh, good win for Leicester, though. Uh, now won three in a row in all competitions. Um, thought it was really interesting, actually, Darren, the way that Brendan Rodgers prepared for this game. He didn't watch Leeds United. He made his players watch videos of RB Leipzig under Ralph Ranick to get an idea of how they might play. I thought that was, I thought that was quite, quite a, a sort of niche idea. Yeah, niche idea, but different. And I think uh, sometimes, just like they say, sometimes players need a different voice. Sometimes they need a different method. And I think it certainly worked for Leicester. Uh, they hung in there, weathered the storm. They knew that Leeds would come with a new energy. Everyone wants to be part of Jesse Marsh's plan. And so they had to weather that. And then with what, one of only a couple of moves in the match, they go and, and land the sucker punch. So I think as far as Rodgers is concerned, it's a vital win for him and the club. It's not been a good season, injury, suspensions, poor form. It's been a bit of a nightmare season as uh, as far as this campaign is concerned. But I think that was a very, very important win. And I think it gives them the confidence to go to Arsenal next Sunday, I think it is, uh, and maybe hope that they can take points off them. Norwich folded like a pack of cards at Carrow Road, defending Wayward again. Two stupid penalties given away by Ben Gibson, of which no one can complain. The VAR spotting the first one for the high foot. Just use your head, honestly. It's in that range. What are you doing? Uh, but a great day for so many reasons for Brentford. Ericsson's first start. And, Crookie, he played a part in the opener. Yeah, wonderful delivery. Uh, and actually his delivery from dead balls all afternoon caused that Norwich defence problems. F for me, the highlight of the weekend was Brandon Williams preparing to give him a rollicking for a foul and then realising it was Christian Eriksen and then just embracing him as they lay on the floor. That was maybe one of the moments of the season, actually, but it was brilliant to see Christian Eriksen strutting his stuff. I think Brentford are very lucky to have a player of his calibre. Clearly, he's not lost any of his technical ability while he's been away. Probably match fitness-wise, he's still going to have to keep building up the minutes. But Ivan Tony. He's been described by Thomas Frank as the best penalty taker in the world. And I think he proved it, you know, to, to take the first penalty, brilliant. The second penalty, he goes the same way. The goalkeeper guesses right and he just puts it into the corner. Fantastic for him, brilliant for Brentford. And I think they'll be fine now. I think that will be the, the platform for Premier League survival. Uh, Tony's two penalties made it 18 in a row without missing and took his overall tally for the season to 11 goals in all competitions. But yeah, he was, he was brilliant afterwards, actually, Thomas Frank. He said, I said to the players before the game uh, that it was never a must-win game. I know it's easy to say afterwards, but I knew 
it was an important game. Everyone did. Norwich did. We did. And two things that are very important with the win is less noise and the smiles on the faces when we come in on Monday morning. They're going to be big. That's a massive thing. I'm pleased with the players' character, mentality and coolness in a different, a difficult game. And he talked about that coolness of being around the place. And actually, he doesn't get too excited when they win a game. He doesn't get too upset when they lose a game. And that sort of, I don't know, consistency of mood actually really helps Brentford so that they don't panic when they do go on a run. Inevitably, a team the size of Brentford was always going to go through a period in the season when they were going to go on a bad, bad run. Yeah, they were. Uh, I mean, they've just come up from the championship. Uh, They started well. The enthusiasm and energy was always going to dissipate. And the question was, how would they react? Would they keep their heads, hold their nerve, uh, maybe bring in more quality and go again? Or would they allow themselves to feel sorry for themselves? And they chose the former and it's paying dividends for them. For all of the emotion around Ericsson arriving at the club, he has brought genuine qualities, never lost that quality. And you see some of the passing range that he provides. He provided the corner for the opening goal at the weekend, uh, causing chaos uh, in the box. And I think as far as he is concerned, if Tony's going to score even more goals, then it's going to be because Ericsson has got that eye for a pass that is going to release him at the right time. I wonder if Ericsson might even make him, make him an even better player. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Burnley nil, Chelsea four. It was a game of two halves at Burnley. Four at Turf Moor for Tuchel's Blues and the ridiculous timing of some of the Chelsea fans' decision to chant the outgoing owner's name before the game apart, which I think Thomas Tuchel dealt with superbly. It was actually quite a good day for Chelsea, mainly because of the return of Rhys James because he made such a seismic difference, Crook. He does. And I think when it comes to the rest of the season, I think he could make a big difference in the Champions League. I think, unfortunately for Chelsea, they're too far behind Liverpool and Manchester City to make a real dent in the title race. But he's going to be a key player for them, as is Kai Havertz. And actually, um, I was speaking to, I think it was David Connolly um, during commentary of the Arsenal-Watford game. And he was saying that Kai Havertz actually has become a really key player for Chelsea, keeping Werner and Lukaku on the bench at the weekend. 
And if anything, the problem he thinks that Havertz has had is that some of the players around him have taken a bit of a a long time to wise up to exactly what Havertz offers with his clever movements and his his runs off the ball. He was superb at Turf Moor, played a big role in the second half. And at the moment, it's, it's difficult to see Lukaku really being able to get back in the team. He was brilliant at Wembley as well. And, you know, Havertz now more goals, I think, than anyone else under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, and that is why he's keeping Lukaku out of the side. Uh, Burnley will rue some of those missed opportunities in the first half when the scores were level. And even more so, Darren, the nature of the collapse. Because once they went, they really went. I think it was four goals in 22 minutes. Yeah, James's goal was a peach. The others were good goals. But for some reason, Burnley just stopped pressing in the second half in the same way that they did with a lot of success in the first and it really surprised me because they're well known for their hard graft. I saw the Spurs game, for example, when they came out on top and they grafted from minute one right the way to the final whistle. But in this game, they seemed to clock off at half time. And that, in part, is what undid them. Obviously, there was quality in the goals that Chelsea were able to fashion, but very surprised by, Brent, uh, by Burnley. Uh, that's six matches in a row that Chelsea have been level at half-time in the Premier League in. Um, one thing they've probably got to do is start games just a little bit better. Uh, obviously, lots of talk this weekend about uh, potential takeovers. Obviously, we know it's up for sale. We know the asking price and names are being thrown into the hat on a regular basis. Who's going to be the next owner of Chelsea? I mean, the, the, the Turkish billionaire who threw his name in on Friday and said he'd basically done a deal, also once said that he'd done a deal for Kamala Harris's house, didn't he? So, I mean, I think that's a bit spurious, that link, isn't it? I think he also tried to buy the moon at some stage or something as well. So I'm not necessarily sure yeah. he's going. I, I, I wonder if Chelsea might Kamala. as well do a deal with a troll under a bridge. <laughs> I, I think the issue with a lot of these names that are coming out, and it was it Conor McGregor was also attached to a possible takeover. Chelsea have distanced themselves from that. In my experience of football club takeovers, the people who serious about buying a football club don't talk about it don't get their name in the press they just go and buy a football club so I think there's probably every chance that actually the identity of Chelsea's new owner probably hasn't even come out in the public domain yet yeah Chicago clubs owner Thomas Ricketts has joined one or two names that are already on the list I still sort of really are leaning towards the the first names that came out very early rather than anything else although Nick Candy who is a British millionaire I think he's worth about 830 million has been uh, touted as a possible leader of a consortium, a British consortium, uh, to take over. I, I think it's well, watch this space, isn't it? And as you say, as soon as the deal is done, we'll have more of an idea of, uh, of what's going to happen next. And, you know, as they say, day-to-day running doesn't change because Marina Granaskaya has done such a good job uh, running it over the last few years and, and she will continue until she is told otherwise. Uh, let's move on to Watford against Arsenal on Sunday. Um, Watford vain fight back in the end it finished 3-2 Bakayu Saka scored one goal set up another as Arsenal move into the top four they got the job done eventually Arteta's team against a handy Watford side who could have taken the lead in in the first 17 seconds of that match Um, fought back from 1-0 down but despite giving it a go couldn't respond once Mikel Arteta had had set up the third goal by jumping down the touchline to get the game moving again when the board gone out of play. Now, we often highlight when we're doing commentaries on TalkSport the amount of movement that he goes through in a 90 minutes. Now, I, I haven't seen a replay and I'm trying to verify it because I really would like to see how far he is down the touchline because the law is if he is outside his technical area, then that goal shouldn't stand. 
But if he's got one foot on the line of the technical area, then it can stand. Interesting. Well, I've never didn't know didn't know about that beforehand, but it's certainly doing the rounds on social media today. Anyone seen a replay? I was at the game, um, and I can tell you that um, I, we saw it straight away. And he was asked about it afterwards, and he was just talking about the fact that he was just very keen to get the game moving. I should also say, in fairness, Roy Hodgson said, "I really, I'm not bothered. I don't care." It doesn't bother me in the slightest. But I do know also that Keith Hackett, um, ex-referee, has been tweeting about it today, uh, Sunday, uh, and, and saying that in law, that goal, as you were rightly saying, Sam, should not have stood. So it'd be interesting to see what can be done. I don't think anything will be done um, because I think it's all done and dusted now. I, what I would say about the game is that I thought Arsenal won easily. Yeah. Watford will go down because they're decent going forward, but they simply cannot defend. 11 of their last 15 games they've lost and Arsenal could easily have won by two or three more. They hit the post, Eddie and Ketia, when he came on later on. And I actually thought they won in second gear and they managed the game out well as well. A really, really good win for Arsenal. Yeah, they're a Turning into quite a good group of, of players, aren't they, attacking-wise? And Lacazette knits it all together by standing in that at top of the uh, formation in the centre-forward position. You've got Saka, who's it's buzzing brilliant. around, brilliant. Uh, Erdegaard was fantastic. His goal, his first goal, was absolutely sensational. Saka's screamer, pretty impressive as well. Martinelli's hit was pretty damn good as well. Um, I mean, it was pretty, pr- a pretty entertaining game, though, Crook, wasn't it? Yeah, I commentated it for TalkSport International. It was an entertaining game, but I agree with Darren. I think 3-2 probably flattered Watford if they could have got a a late equaliser in stoppage time. Arsenal would have felt robbed. What worries me is is the January signings. Uh, Down the left-hand side today, Samir, uh, the Brazilian centre-half, and Hassan Kamara, the Ivorian left-back, signed from Nice in January for £4 million. They were given a torrid time down that right-hand side. The movement uh, of Bukayo Saka and his link-up with Cedric, they just had no answer to that. They brought on Edu Kayembi in the second half. He looked a bit lost, to be perfectly honest. So I would question their recruitment in January. I don't think they have the Premier League now, so the Premier League know-how to get themselves out of this situation. They have might- the dugout, though, don't they? Yeah, but I think it's too little, too late for Watford. I have to say, I think them and Norwich are gone. And we've been building up this top-four race I think it's Arsenal's to lose now. Uh, they've got games in hand. I know they've got some difficult fixtures to play. You've been building up. I've said it's Arsenal for weeks. I don't think Manchester United are good enough. I don't think Tottenham are consistent enough. And if Arsenal can keep their first 11 fit, I think they'll probably finish in the top four quite comfortably. Yeah, look, they did well. They did well. I, I've seen them play well for a number of weeks now. I mean, when they play someone really good, obviously they'll come unstuck because that's what Arsenal do. But they just beat everybody else, everybody else. And, and that's you know pretty impressive in itself. Um, but the big story of the day has got nothing to do with any of that. It, it, it is why on earth did Arsenal wear red shorts? <laughs> that's the key question of the day. You know, w- would you like an explanation as to why Arsenal wore red shirts and red shorts and red socks today? Would you like? Would you like? Would you like to know, Darren? Would you like to know? Yeah, go on. There's literally no reason. It was a <laughs> club decision, apparently. I've got official. I've got official. I actually got. I wasn't even working today. I was doing Dancing on Ice, but I had to get involved in this because it was just such a an odd thing to do. Um, the uh, club decision. Apparently, they've worn the shorts and socks like this before, but there was literally no reason for it. It didn't clash with what Watford were wearing. Why? Why? Why would you do that? Why? Why? Why is the need to do that? 
It doesn't look right. It looks like a rugby league kit. Um, very, very strange. Um, they apparently did it before against Napoli and West Brom in the past. But when they did it against West Brom and Napoli, there was a clash because they were wearing white shorts. I bet it's some Arteta superstition. Either that or Stan Kroenke's trying to sort of lay the path for changing all of his club's kits to the same colour or something like that. There's some sort of like massive conspiracy here. Uh, did you like it, Darren? Well, I like it even more that it hasn't bothered you in the slightest. No, it has bothered me. It's not right. It's not Arsenal, is it? It's not. I mean, to be fair, I was sitting next to someone at the game who turned to me when they came and said, why are they not wearing white? It's the first thing I said, why are they not wearing white shorts? And it just seemed so pointless. Pointless. Really. Pointless. What are you doing? You register your kits at the beginning of the season. Kids go out and buy them. It's red shirts with white sleeves and white shorts. Why are you wearing red shorts? And they've made those specifically. I even went on the official website to find out whether or not the third kit or the second kit had red shorts. They didn't. They didn't. There's no, there's no, there's no need for you. They don't even have red shorts. It's not even in the armory. I tell you what, I wish all I had to worry about on Sunday was the colour of Arsenal shorts. You obviously had a better day than I did. I did. I had a great day. Thank you very much. Cheers for asking. Right. Should we move on to the rest of the fixtures? Because we still got to talk about fabulous Newcastle United, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers' latest defeat and <laughs> King Ralph. Yes, it was all hail King Ralph on Thursday's pod. And even when we were filling in for White and Jordan last week, Crookie and Danny Murphy suggesting he should be the United boss. I actually text Danny Murphy at 4-0 or whatever the score was. It was about 7 in the end, I think it was. I can't remember. Um, I said, I said, oh, I wonder what Crookie's thinking about King Ralph now. And then Murphy put his hand up and said, actually, I was saying it as well, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but look, when, when Southampton go, they just go don't they I mean they can very quickly crumble when the game is beyond them can you can you just put that down though to, to this occasion it being an, an off day crook yeah of course you can they were one defeat in 12 going into that game so they were probably due at a bad performance but I'm going to be positive actually here about Aston Villa rather than negative about Southampton because they took full advantage I thought Felipe Coutinho produced arguably the best performance since his return to the Premier League uh, Watkins looked to be somewhere back near to his best as well. It was just a really good Aston Villa performance. Back-to-back wins now for Steven Gerrard's side. And I think if they can keep Coutinho in that kind of form and they activate their clause to sign him permanently, I think it's going to be a very exciting next campaign for Aston Villa. Oh, is it? Oh, is it? Because a couple of weeks ago, you were slagging off Steven Gerrard, basically reveling in the fact that he wasn't winning any games. And now you're saying he's going to have a fantastic impact next season. Fascinating that, isn't it? How you do those little U-turns. Good job you passed your uh, uh, driving test rather easily, all those three-point turns that you do. Uh, Philip Coutinho made a tremendous impact, as Crookie has already said. Um, he was on loan from, Mas- uh, from Barcelona in January. He played a part in the first two goals before scoring the third. And, and eventually, I think you will see, as, as Crook says, that that combination with the two forwards, bringing the best out of Watkins and Ings, will be the ticket to success for them because both of them scored yesterday. Watkins' first goal, I thought it was brilliantly taken. I've got to be honest with you. The way he stopped the ball, turns and then rifles it into the net into the top corner. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. When they're on song... Aston Villa are just such a handful. Class, confidence and quality in that final third. What they need to improve on is defence. And I think in the summer transfer window, we'll see a new central midfielder. They tried to sign Benton Kerr, who's clearly a good player. He's, he's settled well at Spurs. 
but I think they'll also sign a centre-half, a really good, strong organisational leader at the back because I think if they get some organisation at the back they'll be a side pushing for Europe next season um, Let's move on to Wolves Crystal Palace uh, Crystal Palace another victory for them they extended their unbeaten away run in 2022 to five games with a 2-0 victory over Wolves at Molyneux and that's a, important to point out because you know a lot of the time we said about Crystal Palace they're great at home but not necessarily as good on the road they've done brilliantly there and it's actually the first time since June 2020 that the Eagles have claimed consistent Executive league wins away from Selhurst Park. And they deserved it after a bright start and goals from Mateta and Zaha. It was another really impressive performance on a weekend when a few teams laid down a marker. And I think they have a future star on their hands in Michael Elise. I think they only oh, paid yes. £7 million to sign him from Reading. That looks like money. Very well spent. Fantastic recruitment uh, on behalf of the Eagles. And I think the season is probably going better maybe than they expected. I think... Uh, I was certainly a bit dubious about Patrick Vieira. I wasn't sure he had the credentials to manage in the Premier League. They wanted him to change the style. That didn't work when they had De Boer. It has worked with Patrick Vieira. And I think they can be very happy with what they've done. Having said that, the wheels have fallen off at Wolves ever since I said they were contenders for the top four. And Bruno Large was clearly far from happy. But he did make one baffling decision, leaving Jimenez on the bench and not bringing him off the bench earlier. I didn't really get my head around that. It's the second time, actually, in consecutive matches that he hasn't uh, brought uh, Jimenez in from the start. He's left him on the bench two times in a row now. He is without a goal in, in four games, and he didn't really make an impact when he came on. You talked about Patrick Vieira. I think Darren and I were a little bit more positive about him, maybe because I'd spent some time with him over the summer. You know, We do that when we he works with ITV on, on tournaments, and I'm lucky enough to spend time with him, and he is a very intelligent and charismatic guy. He's also a brilliant sort of diplomat and manages personalities. He, he, you know, everyone thinks that he, him and Roy Keane have got this massive grudge, but actually he's the one who sort of manages Wrighty and Keane when we're all sitting around and they're all talking football. Um, but um, we had a debate on this podcast a couple of weeks ago because people were, and, and, I, and credit to you, you joined in on this as well. We all said, you know, people were starting to criticise Patrick and Crystal Palace because they had less points at that stage of the season than they did under um, Roy Hodgson the season before. But ultimately, they're so much better to watch. They're so much much more enjoyable to, 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 to visit, to go and see that outweighed and we were saying that will outweigh over time that will outweigh what the points total is at this moment in time now they're starting to put points on the board again and you can see it is definitely the right decision uh, to employ him and to have this approach of changing changing tack yep the three wins from their last four in all competitions I think as far as Vieira is concerned I've always felt he was the right man I think in football we don't like change at all, full stop. Uh, there's always uh, a wariness about somebody new who comes into the top division. Uh, Exhibit A, Jesse Marsh, a lot of people not convinced by him. There's a snobbiness around American coaches as well. Stop it. Crook's putting about. his hand up there. He started, you know, pointing yeah, to the picture of head proud of that. Stop it. <laughs> I, I, I just think as far as Vieira is concerned, he was a leader as a footballer. He's done things the right way. He's gone to the MLS. He's worked with young players. Um, he had experience in France. And 
he's got clear ideas about what he wants to do at a football club. And Elise was among the first players he went for when he went to Palace. He knew what he wanted. He brought in Conor Gallagher as well as an outstanding, mid, a legendary midfielder himself. He knew that if Palace were going to go on this journey of evolution, they needed to have a bit of steel and a bit of creativity in midfield. And both those players provide absolutely that. I think he's going to do a great job long-term at that club and they can be proud that they stuck to their guns when people maybe got a little bit nervous about him. Any complaints about the penalty that uh, Maximilian Kilman conceded when he stepped across Schlupp, who was pretty lively actually for the game? No, it was a poor challenge. A uh, rare mistake from Max Kilman. Interesting you mentioned Jeffrey Schlapp. I, I think I alluded to it a few weeks ago. He has been one of the most improved players in the yeah. Premier League this season under Patrick Vieira. He's had a really solid campaign. Yeah. Um, also, problems for Bruno Large in terms of defence because Nelson Semedo is going to be out for at least a month due to a hamstring injury. That's a big loss. And then Kijana Hoover uh, gets uh, subbed early as well, which is a problem. So they've got a little bit of imbalance there on the right-hand side. Uh, Newcastle United victorious again against Brighton. Eddie Howe is refusing to concede that Newcastle are on the verge of securing Premier League safety, despite being the only team in the Premier League not to lose a league game since Christmas. Uh, Saturday's hard-fought 2-1 victory over Brighton at St. James's Park left the Magpies unbeaten in eight league outings. Have a look at that, Steve Bruce, uh, with five wins in their last six, and more importantly, seven points clear of the bottom three in 14th place. Uh, and they weren't at their best, but they took their chances, didn't they? Uh, I'm only tongue-in-cheeking in terms of Steve Bruce because uh, he gets probably too much stick, really. But uh, ultimately, um, Eddie Howe showing what you can do with a group of players. I mean, he's done a fantastic job oh, there. Oh, Sam, 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 Sam. Give Steve Bruce that amount of money to bring in better players than what he had. And I yeah, think Steve not, Bruce would not, have done It's that not about well. the money. It's not about the money because, you know, Kieran Trippier, the, the most important signing, actually, hasn't featured. The fact is, is that it's the coaching. It's the, imp it's the improvement in Cher. It's the improvement in, uh, it's the improvement in Joe Linton. It's the improvement in Ryan Fraser. It's the improvement in the team in terms of the way they have more touches of the ball. If you look at the comparisons, the number of touches, the amount of possession, the number of passes, how comfortable they are on the ball now in comparison to the, what they were back in the end of the end of uh, November or whenever it was that they switched to manager. It is day and night. Listen, Sam, and I agree with you in general it. terms and I would not for a second say that Eddie Howe has not done a good job because you can have money, but it's about organisation. It's about man management, all the things that you just mentioned. What I would say, though, it's also about quality. Good managers are made better by good players. Conti, quality at Chelsea, Juventus and Inter Milan goes to Spurs. Lack of quality, people are starting to question him. If you look at Newcastle, they brought in Matt Target at left back. They brought in Dan Byrne. Dan Byrne was man of the match. Eddie Howe reserved special praise for him in his post-match press conference. And of course, you've still got the leadership of Trippier in the dressing room. So... Yeah, I do agree with all of the qualities that you mentioned, but what makes good managers get the praise they deserve is good players. One player you didn't mention there was Chris Wood, who actually has come in for a bit of stick yeah. because he still hasn't scored his first Newcastle goal. But actually, his role is more important than putting the ball in the back of the net. He, he's a yeah. focal point. He frees up space for runners from midfield like Willock, like Murphy and like Fraser and actually played a big part in the opening goal. So uh, I think the recruitment was good in January. I think the coaching has been good as well. It's been a perfect combination so far. I think if they win at Southampton on Thursday night, that's pretty much Newcastle safe. 
Uh, well, they've got four successive away games at Southampton, Chelsea, Everton and Tottenham before their next play at home on April the 8th. So they're not taking anything for granted. Uh, but trust me, Eddie, Newcastle always gets something off Chelsea. For whatever reason, something crazy about it, it always happens. Remember Papa Cisse scored that goal from basically yeah. the corner flag at Stamford Bridge? Mate, honestly... Uh, anyway, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your contributions uh, on the podcast today and this week. It's been a busy week, but it's been great fun uh, mm. to spend so much time in your company. Uh, Darren, you and I are going out tomorrow night, aren't we? We are. We are. We're we going to get our glad rags on. We're going to go to the SJAs. Yes, we are. Um, looking forward to it. Good luck I, to you with that. And, oh, good luck uh, to you. Um, and, uh, uh, congratulations on your nomination. And Crook did well play a big, big part in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the nomination of game day and stuff like that and, and talk sport as a as a sports network of the year. Oh, by the way, our voting is closed for our sports podcast of the year awards as well. We've, we, we hope everyone voted for that. Did you vote for that, Crook? Did you work out how to do it? Yeah, it I did. I got several uh, family and friends to do the same. Did we make it into the top four in the end? I'm not sure or- that we did, mate. I'm not <laughs> sure that we did. But it doesn't matter. We got nominated. And as, and as me and Darren have already had this conversation, to be nominated is more important than anything else because you know it just shows that that there are nice people out there who think that you're doing okay for now. It's uh, the taking part that counts. The taking part that counts, yes. Just tell that to Liverpool and Manchester City. Right, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> we will see you uh, on Thursday when we look ahead into all of the weekend's action uh, ahead of an- yet another mammoth weekend in the Premier League at the top of the bottom. Keep listening to TalkSport for all the latest news and interviews. And we'll be back with you shortly. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 